theyeshiva.net. You know, it's interesting. 20-something years ago, on Kalamite Sukkis, I found myself in the place that um, <clears throat> most self-respecting Litvish Bachrim at that time found themselves on Cholmite Sukkis, and that's in the Sukkot in Crown Heights. And uh, I got involved, I was listening to a brilliant Shtickle, I got involved in listening to this, um, it's actually Shtickle Tyron, Sukkot Daftes, and I got into a pretty heated debate with a young man a little bit older than me, who was running the Fabreng in there. And the rest of the evening, we were having a pretty intense conversation, which was followed up by a couple of letters back and forth, I don't know if Rabbi Jacobson remembers, but uh, since then, that's correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So since then, since we had those letters back and forth, I've been looking forward to the next opportunity for me. Absolutely correct. So you sent me from the Nefshatayim, how you have to go for Hasidus, and I sent you from the Tanya, you have to learn Jokhan for the first. Since then, I've been looking forward to this opportunity. And the reality is, as the years went by, though I haven't had the opportunity to meet Rabbi Jacobson since then, but really, Shmahel Bufanov, and I think that he's renowned for his ability to encompass really the full range, whether it's Lombus, whether it's Varmkite, it's Hasidus, it's philosophy, it's a deeper understanding of the entire range of what the Torah has to offer and bring it down and make it feel relevant to people's lives and give people a chiyas. And as we stand right before Parshat Sachaydish and we're all looking for a new ischadshus as we come to the Shana Achadosha, I think it's very, it's a special opportunity that we have Rabbi Jacobson to share with us some special Divrei Torah. So it's really a COVID and it's close for us to have Rabbi Jacobson. Expect that introduction. <laughs> I would have been Mamshech, the conversation we had uh, some 20 years ago, but that was on Sukkot. Since we're holding Pesach, name Arvin Simcha Besimcha, so uh, we'll go from uh, Sukkot to Pesach, with, uh, but what's a 20 year gap? Let me begin with an uh, anecdote. They say that there was a, uh, a Jew from Pinsk. Pinsk is a little shtetl in Belarus, Lithuania, who arrived to America. And uh, as many Jews, in the old country they were one way, and in the new country they decided to acquire a new identity. In Pinsk, he was a schlepper. He was a kapzin, he was a schnorrer, he was a shlamazel, he was a layutzlachnik. Do I have to translate those words? Do they have in the five towns these concepts? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in America, he decided he's going to become a respectable, honorable citizen. So he bought himself designer shoes, as people do here, a beautiful suit, got himself a fine tie, went to the shul, got himself a seat in the front. From now on, he would become an Adam Chashuv B'ma'id. 
Nu, comes Koyin, Aliyah, the shul says, any Koyin here? He thinks, you know, what's a better way to be an honorable member than to be a Koyin? They always need you. You're always getting an Aliyah. People get to know you. It's the best thing. So he says, yeah, I'm a Koyin. And sure enough, they call him up. <coughs> After davening, he goes over to say good Shabbos to the Rav. The Rav says, Yanko? Yeah, Shrib Shmuel, yeah. from Pinsk, I remember you. Gewaldik, Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom. He says, I have one question. I remember you as a kid. I knew your father. I knew your grandfather. When I was a child, I remember Yeltazed. They weren't Koyanim. How in the world did you become a Koyan today? So he says, listen, this is a new country. If you could be a Rav, I could be a Koyan. <laughs> That's an old Jewish anecdote. Why do I share this anecdote with you? They say, another that there was once a community that needed a new spiritual leader. So they put in an ad in the newspaper that they need a new man, but it has to be a kolboy, meaning somebody who's a jack, you know, somebody who knows everything. So this Jew applies, the board meets him, and they, they say, what are your credentials? He says, for starters, before anything, I'm a Koyan. It's always good to have a Koyan, you know, Berchus Koyan, Aliyas, whatever. Besides that, I'm also a Rav, I'm a Paisik, I'm a Seifer, I'm a Shaychet, I'm a Balkair, I'm a Baltvil, I'm a Chazan, I'm a Darshan, I'm a marriage therapist, I'm a psychologist, I'm a counselor, I'm a janitor, I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician. Whatever, whatever, Mamish... Literally, I'm the quintessential spiritual leader. I will hatch you, match you, and dispatch you. And besides everything else, I'm also a sensitive person. I'm empathetic. I'm brilliant. I'm insightful. I'm a Yudea Seifa. I'm a Ba'urian. I'm a Talmud Chachet. And in addition to all of this, I'm also a Hever Kaddisha. So one of the members of the board says, I don't understand. In the beginning, ten minutes ago, you told us you were a Koyan. How could you be Kevra Kaddisha? I have to say his response in Yiddish and then I'll translate. He says, Ich bin Azar Rav, Ich I'm a type of rabbi who will bury you alive. <laughs> so, I could be a Kohen and Kevra Kaddisha. It's completely not a problem. I share these uh, anecdotes with you, actually, not just as anecdotes, they each convey a particular message. There is a very interesting uh, tradition that has created also interesting controversy in Jewish history. And it's this particular minhig that I would like to address this evening as we stand uh, almost much already close to to the Yomtev Shloshim Yom Kaidem Achag and almost two weeks Kaidem Achag, so even Ladas of Shimon Ben you begin to learn. And that's a very interesting custom which is deeply entrenched today in Jewish communities the world over. But when you think about it, it really is quite enigmatic and wondrous. There's an expression in Taisvis and in Rishonim, Minig Yisrael Teiruhu. A Minig by Eden is Teiruhu. Rajba says, Alta Zalzalu Minig Nashim Skenis. Don't denigrate the Minig of elderly Jewish women. On the other hand, it's brought in Rishonim also, that Minig Oisiz Gehenim. 
The same letters of Minig is Gehenim. I don't have to explain what that is. Purgatory. So the question is, when is Minig Yisrael Tairuhu? Somebody asked me, when is Minig Yisrael Tairuhu? When is Minig Yisrael Gehenim? I told them it's very simple. If it's my Minig, it's Tairuhu. If it's your Minig, it's Gehenim. If it's your Minig, it's Tairuhu. If it's your wife's Minig or your Shvigah's Minig, it's Minig Yisrael Gehenim. But the truth is, there are Minhagim and there are Minhagim. There are Minhagim that are really excuses for people to be obsessed. Some people need to be obsessed. When you're religious, you have a very good uh, crutch. If you're a neurotic, they say, what's the difference between a neurotic and a psychotic and a psychiatrist? A neurotic builds castles in the air, a psychotic lives in them, and the psychiatrist collects the rent from both of them. <laughs> the rent these days is very expensive. Some people use religion as an excuse for, it's a, it's a cover-up for neurosis, it's a cover-up for misery, it's a cover-up for agony, it's a cover-up for inability to work on themselves and become normal and healthy. And religion is always a great crutch because it's not me. You blame it on God, you blame it on Shulchan Aruch, it's wonderful. You have Shalom Bayez problems, you always have an excuse. Mayriv, Daf Yoimi, Dirshu, Shachris, Mincha, etc. So, depends, some minhagim are rooted in truth. And sometimes there are minhagim that people simply need chumras to be able to make themselves feel superior or better or secure some seat in uh, their delusional Olam Haba or whatever it is. So you always have to, the greatness of the Jewish people is that we never put down our pen. So almost any tradition could be traced back and you see how it developed, how it morphed into what it morphed in. And you could see how legitimate it is, how illegitimate it is, etc. One of these minhagim is that Jewish children steal the Afikaiman from their parents, or their grandparents, or their uncles, on the night of Pesach of the Seder. Some of us have gotten our best toys as a result. I know me myself. Some of my favorite toys I received as a result of stealing the Afikaiman and bargaining with my father, Zechreinah of Racha. In those days, to get a calculator was like a colossal simcha. Today, you'll give your child a calculator, he'll stop talking to you. He'll move out of the house and move somewhere else. Today it's a, a car, an iPod, an iPad, certainly an iPhone, a Lamborghini if possible, a, a, a tour to Europe for, for three weeks. That's a nine-year-old, a 14-year-old, I'm not even gonna go there. So the Afikoyman standards completely changed, right? A little, uh, a little bike, a big bike, Mela, but those little, uh, those little uh, tzatzkes in the house, I don't know if that's gonna work. But this is a fascinating thing. Stealing is forbidden in Judaism. It's probably not such a big chiddush. Maybe it is a big chiddush. It's forbidden. Somebody once asked me, there's a Lashon Yerushalayim, Minig Mavatul Halacha. Minig has a Pasha. What does it mean? I said it's Pasha. There's a Halacha that when you borrow money, you have to pay back. The Minig is you don't pay back. That's Pshad Nevolitzin. You say it every morning. Mekablin Dein and Dein Vomrin Kaddish. What's Pshad? You ever thought about it? Pshad is I borrowed 50,000 from you and I have to pay back. So I go take from him. So I pay back you. Then I have to take from you to pay back him and take from the next guy to pay back you. It's Mekablin Dein and Dein Vomrin Kaddish. Somebody's going to say Kaddish on the money. We're not yet sure. We're not yet sure. We're not yet sure. Okay, so Minig Mavatu Allah. Stealing is not a small thing. They say there was a Yid, a tourist in Israel, and he saw a beautiful orchard with a nice, nice vine. So he goes and he starts eating the grapes. 
He starts eating the grapes. So this fellow comes out on the porch and he says, Ganev, it's one of the Aserah Sadibris, Lois Signoiv, okay, not Lois Signoiv, Lois Signoivu. And it's Mamashadin Gneve, and it's a poet. And he looks up, he says, Ah, what a country Eretz Yisrael is. You eat such delicious grapes, and in the middle you hear it, Vatayra too. <laughs> how, how does a custom develop? How does. I just got it. How does a. <laughs> How does one develop a minhid to steal an Afikaiman? You say it's a joke, it's a bargaining. Gnev in Shulchanaruch, in Rambam in Shulchanaruch, is serious. Even for a joke, it's not permitted. Even to teach the person a lesson. Even less than a Shavapruta, certainly a Shavapruta. Afikaiman is a Shavapruta. How is it, and of children who are very impressionable, we educate them in our holiday, when we celebrate nationhood. What's our entry into nationhood? First thing, you got to learn how to steal. As an old man once told his kinderlach, he says, Is that the lesson we're trying to impart to them? We didn't even start. started with the Gemara in Psachim Davkuf Tesam et Aleph. The Gemara says that in the night of Pesach, Choytfin es Hamatzah. And the reason is for the children not to fall asleep. We grab the matzah. Chaitif means grab. What does it mean to grab the matzah? Rashi gives two interpretations. One interpretation Rashi says is which we still do. You lift up the plate of food in the beginning of the Seder so the children wonder. Even though the children learn this in yeshiva, that we do it so that they should wonder, right? But it's another with 99 things that we do, and we tell them that we do it, so they should ask. So at the say that they say, you're doing it so that we shouldn't fall asleep, so that we should ask. So you have to come up every year with something new, so they should actually not fall asleep. Actually, today the adults fall asleep a little more, when they start hearing all the vertlach on the Haggadah. But the guy told me the other day, he bought 40 new Haggadahs to give over divrei He said, isn't that wonderful? I said, I feel bad for your family. He <laughs> <laughs> said, instead of buying 40 agads, why don't you just do the only mitzvah essay, but do the mitzvah essay, and I tell you, it Close your haggadah, just talking to your child. Talk to your child for once. Look him in the eyes, and talk to your child. Okay, that's a mitzvah essay, and I tell you. You'll find up another hergish of Rebbe up another the hair of the Swasemis, another kvetch of Rebbe Sazamen. I mean, it's all beautiful. I don't know if you're going to do the Vigada Talavinch, especially I know your children. But in any case, Rashi says, we pick up the Kaira so the children should all fall asleep. Then he gives another interpretation, Oichlin Maher, Choytfin. As we say in Yiddish, Mechat. You eat fast. Again, they shouldn't fall asleep. That's Rashi. You have the Rambam. The Rambam in Hilchis Chometz Matzah says, We grab the matzah from each other. I grab from you, you grab from me. A third interpretation. So Rashi says, you lift up the matzah, you remove the food. You eat fast, the Rambam says, no. Choytfin means you grab from each other. So it's interesting, Chazal used one word, choytfin. Rashi says, choytfin means you schlep it away. Take it to the kitchen. Another interpretation, mechat, me'es, you eat fast. The Rambam, you actually grab it from somebody else. Maram Chalva, Rabbi Yonason Milunil, Marash Naishta, the Rebbe of the Maharil, all embrace that interpretation of the Rambam. We grab matzahs from each other, and that excites children. 
when children see this action in the house, I grab from you, you grab from me, you have a Masech Sukkah, similar thing about Chait Fenesreigim on the last day of Sukkah, Sashayin Rabba, similar thing that the Tinoikus Chait Fenesreigim, it creates excitement, passion, oomph, enthusiasm in the house. No mention of stealing, grabbing one from another, but we could see how things evolve. It was the Chak Yaakov, who lived much later, he lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s, passed away in the 1730s. Rabbi Yaakov Reischer was one of the greatest Rabbonim of Galicia in Poland at the time, known as the Chak Yaakov. And in Hilches Pesach, in his monumental Hilches Pesach, the Chak Yaakov brings that based on this Gemara, Choytven Esamatze Belele Psachim, Nishtarish Haminig, that children grab the matzah from their parents, in order that they shouldn't fall asleep. That's what the Chak Yaakov brings. This is brought in the Siddha of Rabbi Yaakov Emden, it's quoted by the al by the Be'er Hetev, and in the previous generation by the Aruch HaShulchan. All based on this Gemara, this Mishnah, Chaitven HaSamatzah Belele Psach. What would be the benefit of it? At first glance, it's exciting. I steal the Afikoyman, you want it back. This already developed a whole new custom. I'm waiting for my prize. Of course, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm going to get my new car, my new iPhone. How can I fall asleep before the Afikoyman? It keeps the children up. The Michtav Seifer says something charming. So the Gemara says, it says, No dog barked, right? The Gemara says, you shouldn't stay in a city where dogs don't bark at night. Why? Because the thieves hang around. If dogs bark, you have an alarm system. There's no dogs barking, there's no alarm system. Don't stay in that city. Says the Mechtav Seifer, the night of Pesach, so all the Ganovim emerged. There were major Ganevis in town. The dogs weren't barking. So what do we do to perpetuate that unique moment? We also become Ganovim on the night of Pesach, to commemorate that the dogs weren't barking. Yet, after everything said and done, it seems like a strange minute. So the Chavis Yoyer, who was a contemporary of the Chak Yaakov, also early 1700s, Yoyer Bachrach, in his Sefer, Mokar Chayim, Mokar Chayim on Pesach, Psachim, Hilchus Pesach, says, Tzorich Limchus, Olevatul Haminik. This is a custom that has to be obliterated. The Moir Yoyer says, if Gentiles, classic Jewish response, if the Gentiles are going to hear about the Sminik, you know what they're going to say? Oh, here the Jews go again. The old Ganovim, they teach their children on the night of their festival, you have to steal. He says, how can you have such a minute? In the Haggadim Ebeis Levi, which records the brisker, Minhagim and Torah on Pesach, they bring to the Reb Chaim Salavetrik, Reb Chaim Brisker, said before the Seder by us, we don't steal the Afikayim. I saw the Haggadah of Reb Shloim Zalman Ayyabach that before the Seder he would announce there is a minig Yisrael to steal the Afikoyman, but not in our house. Some bring the Gemara and Brachas that hey, Reb Huna did not want to pay his oris, did not want to pay the one who kept his crop, who took care of his grapes because that person stole from him and therefore he didn't want to pay him back because he felt you could steal from a ganav. And they told him, Basar ganve gnoivitayim. When you follow the paths of Gneve, you get a taste of it, even if you have rationalizations and excuses. So, many opposed it, there's no question. But the fact is, 
you go around to hundreds of thousands of Erlich Yiddish houses, from the five towns to Morocco, from Yerushalayim to Benebrak, from Meir Sha'arim to Tzvas, from Mizrach to Meiriv, and you'll find stealing the Afikoyman is a highlight of the Seder, indeed the only thing that keeps many children and adults up till the end of the Seder. And I want to understand tonight, Be'ezer Hashem, how this minig became so sacred, so sanctified, and certainly Torah, who by many, even though the original Rishonim don't have this, but nonetheless somehow it developed and it became enshrined in Jewish culture, culture and practice on the night of Pesach. I want to change the subject. With your permission, so for the ADDs, I'm moving away. No worries, we move on. Which may be also a reason for stealing the Afrika. I want some interpretation of the Svasemes, who asks a question by B'dikas Chametz. What do we do? We check the Chametz, we search for the Chametz, and the Minig, Erev Pesach, is to burn. What do we burn? Well, it's not the Minig to burn, it's the Mitzvah to burn, but what do we burn in our beer Chametz? You burn the ten pieces of bread, you burn the feather, you burn the stick, the spoon, the wooden spoon, but the minig is also to burn the candle. Now for us in 2017, you burn the candle, you don't burn the candle, it's not such a big deal. Svasemis wonders, why would you burn a candle? It's mamish baltashchis, the candle is not chametz. The candle was used simply to light up the path, the chayrim of his dakim, to be able to find the chametz. Why would you burn the candle? The feather, okay, it touched the bread. The spoon touched the bread. The bread is bread. The bag, the bread is in the bag. You're not taking home the bag for Pesach. But what did the candle do? What did the candle do? A question of the Svasamas. Why burn the candle? It's, it's worth something. Save the candle. You need People need candle. The Gemara says in Erev and Le'ivris, Sierra, El Night is made for learning. So today we have Edison to thank, but then it wasn't simple. Before Thomas Edison, a candle was very precious. Why burn it? <coughs> the, Gemar, the Mishnah of a whole Masech Tepsacha begins with the word, And for the next two pages, the Gemara struggles to figure out what the word Oyr is. My Oyr. And it's very difficult. Oyr is Urta, Oyr is Safra, Oyr is Night, Oyr is Morning. And finally, the Gemara reaches the conclusion that Oyr means the night of our Ba'asa. And the Me'iri and other Rishayinim asked, so why couldn't he just say, Leil Arba Asar, Boitkin Esachamitz Lair Haneir? And you can get straight into the Sugis of Davdal and the Sugis of Maskir and Soicher and Bdike and Bittel. And we don't have to go all through all this whole Pilpul and Shakl of what the definition of Oir is, which literally means light. And we're not sure that it even means the night of our boss. So just. The Mishnah likes to be brief, but there's no difference if you say Oyer or Leil, and Leil wouldn't be confusing at all. I want to ask now another question, changing the subject again. The Gemara says in Masech Tepsachim, how do you know Boitkin HaSachamitz Leir and I think it's on Dav Zayin, so the Gemara makes a very interesting Zeri Shava, that you have to be Boitik Chametz, so there shouldn't be Bal Yimotze, you shouldn't find Chametz. Lamadnu, Metziya, Mimetziya, Metziah mechipus, chipus mineir, achapus es Yerushalayim baneiris, neir mineir, boitkin es hachametz loir haneir. Meaning as follows. By chametz it says you shouldn't find chametz. Bal yimotze. Bal yira, bal yimotze. 
You shouldn't find chametz. We have another place we speaks about Metziah, and that is when Yosef has his goblet, his gavia, hidden in the bag of Binyamin. He sends his emissary to go search, and it says, Vayechapes, He's searching for the Prime Minister's becher, for the Prime Minister's goblet. He searches, and Vayimotze Ba'amtachas Binyamin. He finds it in Binyamin's bag. So we see that to find something, you have to search. So we want to make sure that we find Chomet, so it shouldn't be found on Pesach, you have to search Chippos. It says in Scharia, you search Baneris, Achapis Yerushalayim Baneris. From here we learn that how do you find Chomet? To searching for Chomet, you need a candle. Psachim Davzayim. Right? Davzayim, Davav. Somewhere there. Ask the Marshal, what's the Marshal Shaila? Why does the Possek have to jump to Parshas Miketz at the end? Go to Parshas Vayetze. You remember the story? Rachel stole Lovon's Trophim. What does it say? Lovon went, Vayechapes. He searched everywhere, but he didn't find it. You already have there. He searched and he didn't find it. says, and it's much better. Why? Because by chametz it's bali matzeh. You don't want to find chametz. Lavan actually searched and he didn't find. Yosef searched and found. He says this is a much better source. Here it's vayimotzeh. There it's v'loy matzeh, which is mamish like chametz. Exerushav is much more accurate, much more precise. Marshal's question. Nice question. Shmaka question. Why jump to Miketz? You have vayetzi much earlier and much better, much more precise, much more meticulous. Much, uh, much more, much more similar, much si- similar to our discussion here. You with me? So we did the stealing. <clears throat> then we went to what? You forgot? Ah? <laughs> huh? The svasemis with the can? No, svasemis with the candle. And the question of the marshal with the search. Very good. I forgot. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure at the end I come back to everything, please. All right, very good. Psachim. All right, why not let? Okay, Tayyid. The truth is that stealing the Afikoyman is not the only act of thievery that occurs in the night of Pesach. Somehow, a lot of thievery, a lot of gnave is built in to tradition connected to Pesach. And I'll show you another three items that may not be. So obvious, but you'll see it's right there under the surface. Item number one. The Pesach starts off in Parshas B'Shalach, Vayugad L'Farai Ki, Vorachoam. Farai heard that the nation escaped. They escaped? He told them, Kumutsu, get out of here. That's called escape. Zokrashi, they escaped. Why? Moshe never told Parai they want to leave for good. Never. He always said the same thing. And we just want a three-day holiday. And he would not even give them a three-day holiday. So when Parai said leave, he meant leave like you wanted to leave for three days. After three days they didn't come back, he realized they escaped, they fled. Now I want to ask you a simple question. Why did Moshe have to deceive Parai? The night of Marcus Pertus, when he said, get out, Moshe said, no problem, we're not coming back. Say the truth. 
If Marcus Pechoris wouldn't have happened, Pari wouldn't have even agreed for three days. The man did not agree for through nine Marcus. He wouldn't have agreed for three days. The only reason he agreed was because he was devastated as a result of Marcus Pechoris. At that point, the man was desperate. Ask him whatever you want. Tell him the truth. Is the Haraya? Is the Haraya? That is the other way around. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim had to happen through deceiving Parai. There had to be Kivorecha. Because of that, Moshe found the Hechitimtza had to do it. He's going to say three days. As a result of that, Parai was deceived. They had to flee. It didn't begin the other way. They had to deceive Parai and therefore it was Kivorecha. Because they didn't have to. At that point, Parai would have agreed to anything. He became a tatla. Elamai, it was almost essential to the experience. This the Balatanya says. It was essential to the experience that there should be Gneva's Das of Paroi. He had to be deceived. Now what the Hechitimtze? The Hechitimtze is, tell him three days. Why? Why? You have to steal his mind? Why? Tell him the truth. Be honest. Tayyid Yidin, there was another major Gneva that happened on Pesach. You know which one? Yaakov. Yaakov and Yitzchak. What are you, what are you, huh? With the Caleb, you mean? Before. But then they borrowed it. You mean they didn't return it? Okay, yeah. Gviya Bebsisa. I'm referring to the Brachas. Rashi says, Rifka delivered snake doyeizim. Yitzchak ate two goats for lunch. Two goats? Was it Rashi? Perikad Rebeleza, Periklamet Beis. It was Pesach. One was for the carbon Pesach, and one was Matamim. Pekin Rebeleza says, Yaakov told Esav, tonight is Pesach, and I want Matamim for my Seder of Pesach. Kol ha'oitzris niftochim, he told Esav. Ha'el yoinim oimrim shire. Come bring food tonight for the Seder of Pesach. That's why there were two goats. Carbon Pesach and Matamim. Carbon Chagigim. Rashi brings it from Pekah to Rebelezer. So the night of Pesach, Yaakov, so to speak, deceived his father Yitzchak and stole the blessings that belonged to, or were supposed to go initially to, Esau. Another Geneva that happened. And then there was another one, also not Mamish legal. And that is Mordechai asks Esther on the 13th of Nisan, to go into Achashverosh to beseech him to rescue her people. And what does she say? I can't go in. I'm not allowed to go in. I have no permission. And with this guy, I go in without permission. I come out with a head shorter. So Mordechai says the famous word, and Esther says, I'll go. I will go into the king. When does she go into the king? When is it? The Gemara says in Megillah, it was Pesach. Whether first day of Pesach, second day of Pesach, on Pesach, she goes into the king, Ashaloi Chados, not according to the law. And then at last, 
As you mentioned, there's all the vessels that they took officially, they borrowed, they never returned them, and the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, years later the Egyptians wanted back the loan that they gave the Jewish people. <coughs> so why is this that the holiday of our freedom, free people don't have to steal? Slaves have to steal. Free people are free. <coughs> the holiday of our freedom is associated with how many Gnevis? You have the Afikoyman, you have Kiborah Ha'am, you have the Brochus, you have Ovayel Amelech, and you have the Kalim of the, the Jewish people borrowed from the Egyptians. Wow. Interesting. <coughs> How do we understand all of this? So, because I can get carried away. Oh, okay. Time is relative everywhere, but not in shuls. <laughs> not in shuls, trust me. But the time is absolute. Okay. I want to ask one final question with your permission. The Maril Diskin. Rabbi Yeshua Leib of Diskin, the Rav of Lomja, of Mizrich, of Brisk, and then of Yerushalayim, known as the Saraf of Brisk. Rabbi Chaim Brisk is said he was one of the three Iluyim of his generation. Maril Diskin writes in his commentary on Chumash that it says Yaakov brought Yitzchak wine. Why? Because it was Pesach. So just like he wanted the carbon Pesach, he wanted also koises, dalit koises, the obvious from Mekayim, kol atayri kulat nitna. The Gemara says in Yuma and in Kedushin. So therefore he brought him yayin to be able to drink the dalit koises. So Yitzchak has meat for the carbon Pesach. He has wine for the dalit koises. What about the matzah? What about the matzah? It's brought in Svarim, Sifri HaNister. Ba achicha b'mirma vayikach birchasecha. Esav comes to Yitzchak and says, here's the food. Yitzchak says, I ate already. V'oichal mikoil. I ate everything. Esav asks Yitzchak, why can't you eat my food also? V'oichal mikoil. He can't eat anymore. Eat and bless me. Eat more. Ba'achicha b'mirma. B'mirma is the gematria of Afikoyma. Your brother came deceitfully. B'mirma is 287. Afikoyma. Ein maftir in achir apesach afikoyman. The Rashbam says afikuman. Afikoyman is the dessert. You don't eat after the afikoyman. I ate everything, including the afikoyman. Ba'achicha b'mirma, and therefore I can't eat anymore. And the bracha is coming through the eating, so therefore I can't give you a bracha. Some say I saw in a sefer lahoris nason. He says that's why we steal the afikoyman. You know why? Because it's as a result of the afikoyman that Yaakov stole the blessings. If there wouldn't be an Afikoyman, Yitzchak would have eaten Esav's food. He ate the Afikoyman. You don't eat after the Afikoyman. So therefore, because of the Afikoyman, therefore he got the blessings. So we steal the Afikoyman. Okay, another remus. But really, this is exactly how it happened. He had to give him an Afikoyman. So it should be Mekayim de Bemirma. What is the meaning of all of this? There is a very powerful message, Hashkafas Oilam, 
that is being conveyed in all of these episodes, in all of these narratives, in all of these stories. And that has to do with the following question. What does it mean to be a free human being? What does it mean to be emancipated? What does it mean to experience cheres? What does it mean to be fulfilled, happy, to live a wholesome, free life? Does anybody here in the shul feel that you're free? There was once a chas and a lion got married. And everybody came to wish mazel tov, including a mouse. So the mouse went over to the lion and said, Brother, mazel tov. The lion says, you call me brother? You? A little mouse? You're calling the lion brother? A chutzpah? I should kill you just for that. He sighs, he nods his head, the little mouse, and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I got married, I was also a lion. <laughs> what is the definition of being a free person? When Mashiach comes, it says in Yeshaya, You're going to go relaxed. By Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Haste, schnell, fast. Pari was chasing, they were running. Why? Why do they have to run from Pari? Because Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim represents a different model of redemption than the Gula Hasidah. There's Bechipozoin and there's Beshuva Benachas. Kiborach Ha'am was essential to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. You know why? Because if they would not run, they would remain in Mitzrayim. And the reason they would remain in Mitzrayim is not because Pare outside was chasing them. Because Pare inside was chasing them. You could take the Jew out of Golos. You can't always take Golos out of the Jew. You could take the Jew away from Pare, but you can't always take Pare away from the Jew. There's an amazing Evan Ezra. The Evan Ezra asks in Parsha Shemais, why is it that the first Jewish leader grew up among non-Jews? It doesn't feel so batamt. Do you know that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what a Shalom Zachah looks like? Do you know that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what a Kiddush looks like? He never ate jalapeno herring. He never ate sponge cake. He never had schnapps. He grew up in a normal, healthy, I don't know, healthy. He grew up in a palace. No cholent. He didn't know what kishka looks like. Imagine he comes, he becomes the Reb of the Jewish people. He doesn't know what herring is. That's Shabbos. That's Yomtev. No wonder he gave the man. <laughs> and the Jew said, Lo yodu, lo yodu mahu. The poor guy doesn't know what Jewish food looks like. Chalopsis and the healthy Malachamavas food. The deadlier the better. Asks the Ebenezer a question. Why is it that the first Jewish leader grew up, he didn't know what Jewish culture looked like. He didn't. He was Jewish, but he didn't know what it looked like. A leader needs to know, but you have to have your finger on the pulse of the people. The Ebenezer says, Soid Hashem li And then he says, but I'll give you two reasons. Reason, both reasons are stupendous, but the second one I want to focus on. Reason number one, the Ebenezer says, if he would have grown up among Jews, nobody would respect him. Every Yachned Vosh, every Yenten Shtetl would say, oh, I remember your priests. I used to be a babysitter, my shy. I used to be a babysitter. Oh, you became a prophet, really? That's so nice. <laughs> I remember you cried. I, we took you to the hospital. You were such a nutty kid. It wouldn't be possible. Jews don't know how to respect homegrown potatoes. Everyone has what to say. Before Google, we have files on everybody. Oh, he became Robin Shalkob. Now, girl, I remember what his mother looked like 
Fire the Mulchama. It's always fired the creek on the other side of the Atlantic. It's impossible with Jews. It's impossible. Everyone has what to say about everybody. There's a file. Oh, oh, he became the chief rabbi. Oh, he became this. Let me tell you about his real story. Let me tell you, you know, Begil Gulrishan, Bezivu Grivi, what I know about. I'm a chai, the ending, you're done. The Gemara says in Yumadav Chavbez, Ein Mamid and Parnas Alatzibur, Elim came, Kupa Shal Shrotzim, which in simple English means a box with dead rodents have to be hanging down his back. And you know what the problem of Shoal was? He didn't have a Kupusha Shotzim. He had no history. He was a perfect kid, unfortunately. Poor Shoal, he was too good. So Rashi says, Moshe had a history. Moshe finished a speech and the guy in the back said, which yeshiva did Moshe learn? Eh? We in Valozhin or in Brisk, in the Mir or in Ponovich, in Slabotka or Hevron? Where, where, where did he learn? Ah, by Para he got smicha. Very interesting. That's it. You don't have to argue. You don't have to argue. Right? That's how we do it. You, you give a name, a title, a stigma. Boom, dunk, box. Quarantine for eternity. He's not our stuff. He's not mainstream Judaism. That's the first reason of the Ebenezer. I'm embellishing a little bit. The Ebenezer, just a little bit. Just a little bit. No, no, because the Ebenezer used humor that belonged to the 1100s. And you wouldn't understand that humor. So I'm, I'm just doing 21st century. Dev and Ezra gives a second interpretation. You know what his second interpretation is? Fabulous. He says if Moshe would have grown up among Jews, he would have had a slave mentality. He would never be able to overthrow the empire and he would never be able to stage a revolution. He would grow up among slaves. He would feel narrow. Moshe had to grow up in royalty so that his asagos should be broad. His asagos should be expansive. He should be able to think big. He should be able to understand you can change the status quo. You're not a victim of any reality. You can define reality. There are three types of people. There are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there are people who want to know what happened. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu, to make things happen, he had to grow up in broadness in expansiveness his consciousness had to be able to conceive of infinite possibility that cannot happen if you're growing up among downtrodden slaves the Ebenezer's interpretation somebody the Gemara says about Rabbi Yochan ben Zaki in Sukkot that he knew Sichas Behemis and Sichas Chayas so here is what somebody once heard in a, what somebody once heard from an animal there was a baby camel who turned to its mother and said, Mama, I have a question. Fear cautious. Question number one, why do we have, the ever saw camel's toes, these three ugly toes on our feet? And Mama says, because we are camels. We trek thousands of miles through the desert, so we need good sturdy feet. Okay, Mama, and why these ugly eyelashes that other animals don't have? Oh, when you go in the Sahara Desert for weeks, there are sandstorms. So we are protected with our eyelashes. Mama, what about the ugly humps? Oh, you think in the Sahara you have water? We drink and we need a place to store our water so we don't get dehydrated. For weeks we can go without water. That's what the humps are for. Ah, Mama, I got it. The three ugly toad legs to trek thousands of miles. The ugly eyelashes to protect us from the sandstorms as we march thousands of miles. And the humps to store water as we march thousands of miles through planet Earth. 
So what in the world are we doing in the Bronx Zoo, locked up in a cage? That question is a question of freedom. If you have the ability to change the world, if you have the ability to flex muscle, if you have the ability to make a difference, what in the world am I doing in a cage in the Black Zoo, in the Bronx Zoo? Good slip. At least I didn't say the Trump Zoo. <laughs> what am I doing there? The Ebenezer says Moshe had to grow up in broadness, in expansiveness. He had to think big, not surrender to mediocrity. As one man said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Thoreau. But here's the question. What if you have, why do we live in the cage, in the zoo? And the answer is because there's a voice. And the voice, the inner voice says, you belong trapped. You belong there. You're not going to get out of there. Let's think about our own lives. Is there anybody in this room who thinks to themselves, I will never, ever have a good marriage. Never. Never. We've tried everything. But you know her. You know me. You know what she grew up with. You know what I grew up with. That's it. We are destined to have a miserable relationship. We'll stick it out for the kids. But that's it. I am never destined to be a happy human being. I wake up with depression every single morning. If I could get out of bed, make a living and make ends meet, I'm thankful. I can have too high expectations. Me, I'll never make peace with my brother. In my family, there will not be peace. You know my siblings? You know my sister-in-law, God bless her. You know my schwer. You know my brother-in-law. You know them. I was at a conference in South Carolina about anti-Semitism. So somebody asked me, what's the difference between Jews and anti-Semites? I said, what do you mean? He says, they both don't like Jews. I said, that's true. But I'll tell you the difference. The anti-Semite, I'm talking about a civil anti-Semite. You'll ask him, what do you think about the Jews? And they'll tell you they're the bacteria of the world. They are the worst of the worst. Vermin. You'll tell the guy, but your cardiologist is Goldberg. He says, ah, he's the best heart doctor in the world. But your neurologist is Weiss. He's brilliant. But your accountant is Schwartz. He's an honest man. But your barber is Finkelstein. Ah, he's the best conversationalist. I don't understand. You have a business partner, Mr. Cohen. Uh, he's an honest man, he wouldn't steal a nickel. Some of my best friends are Jewish. What about the Jewish people? They're the worst of the worst. They're horrible. What about all these people? They're individual Jews. They're different. That's what a civil anti-Semite says. Now come to any Jew, any Jew in the world. Say, Rebid, what's your opinion of the Jewish people? He'll start crying, waxing eloquent. Mi amcha Yisrael goy echad I love you. Tell me. Tell me about your next door neighbor. 
What about your other neighbor? A terrorist. What about your brother-in-law? Despicable scum, low life. What about your other brother-in-law? If I start talking, I could put him away in prison for 29 years. And what about this guy? I wouldn't trust him with your child for five minutes. What's your opinion of Klal Yisrael? <laughs> I love the Jewish You see, my friend, it's easy to love Klal Yisrael. It's very hard to love Reb Yisrael. There's only one problem. Klal Yisrael is made up of 14 million Reb Yisraels, and you have among them Shlemiels and Shlemazels and Nudniks. As my grandmother would say, the Shlemiel pours the soup on the Shlemazel, and the Nudnik wants to know what type of soup was it. <laughs> yes, that's what you have. So you look at yourself and you say, you know my family, you know my mishpacha, you know my this, you know my that. In my family, don't... Will I be able to ever get along with my children? Unfortunately, you know what happened with my 18-year-old. It is what it is. We will be in a fight for many, many years. People continue to live in cages based on a voice that tells them, from me, from us, there's not much more I can expect, I can create. And essentially what that voice is telling you is that for you to obtain freedom is false, it's stolen, it does not belong to you. Give it back! It does not belong to you! We know who you are! You can have a real relationship with Hashem. You know what type of machshav azoris you have in the middle of davening. I know what goes through my mind. You really, can, you can have a real intimate, passionate relationship with God. I know the addictions I struggle with. I know the cravings I have. I know what happens to me when nobody sees. Suddenly, in front of everybody, I'm going to become a fafrumta meshugan and not. I'm an honest man. You're an honest man. And to acquire something that doesn't belong to you is stolen. The voice says, stop stealing. Give it back. It's not yours. You know it's not yours. Happiness does not belong to you. Freedom does not belong to you. Integrity does not belong to you. Godliness does not belong to you. Remember always what you are. A loser. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially. I'm the damaged one. I'm the blemished one. I am the broken one. I have to remain the broken one. I'm not going to steal. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to me. Why couldn't Rivka speak to her husband? Why fool your husband? Who ever heard of such a thing? Why couldn't she learn from her mother-in-law, Sarah? They had a debate. All Jewish couples have debates. Does Yishmael stay in the home or not? Avram said, yeah. Sarah said, no. She said, go ask Hashem. He asked Hashem, what did Hashem say? Hashem gave the timeless, eternal commandment to every Jewish husband. <laughs> Whatever Sarah tells you, note the word is We're going Pesach to hotel? Yes, dear. <laughs> You heard women? Okay. We're staying home. Okay, we're staying home. We're staying home. Shine. And Avram said, okay, God. If she's the boss, she's the boss. Rivka could have told Yitzchak, Yitzchak, you're a good man. You're a holy man. But trust me, Esav ain't the kid. He just ain't the guy. He's busy, I know, with salt and straw. He's doing briska, chilukim, and meiser. But trust me, let's stick to Yaakov. Yitzchak would say, no, Esau. Shavuot would say, ask Hashem. Yitzchak would ask Hashem. What would Hashem tell him? Or Hashem would just say, 
Go ask your father Avram what I said about listening to a wife, and that's it. If you know what's good for you, you listen. That's it. No. Rivka has to deceive her husband. And he's never upset at her. Interesting. You would be upset at your wife, no? Never? Never, huh? Okay. Is that true? Fine. Okay. Why is he so not upset? I would be upset. Such a deception. So the Kedusha Harim says something. Maybe it's hard to believe a little bit that it's a Gerivart. But that's what he says. You can look it up. Kedusha Harim Parshatot. Okay, as usual, he says it in two and a half lines. But, uh, but he says the Vart. He says it's very simple. It's not so simple. It's pretty profound. Rivka was a Yiddish mama. She saw the future. Listen to this. She saw the future. And after the Kedusha Harim lived in the early 1800s. In the early 1800s, he passed away, Tafresh, around 1859 or so, right? Uh, no, 1866, Tafresh Chavov, 1866, Shvat. Other, other. The Chidush Arim says, it's important in the when he lived, mid-1800s. He says, Rivka was a Yiddish mama, a quintessential Jewish mother. She could have told Yitzchak, Yaakov gets the blessings, and he would say, yes, Rivka, Yaakov... Come get the brachas. And what would Yaakov do? What would you do if you were Yaakov? First thing, Yaakov would go to the mikvah. Yeah? Then he would learn through two, three Masechtas Gemara. Then he would daven. He would finish Tillam two, three times. Then he would put on his gartel. Then he would say, L'shem yechud kuchabrichu shchintahinini nichnas b'techilu urechimu l'kaya mitzvahs kibudov and say a special tefillah yirotzen that the brachas should go last for generations. And he would go in with a streimel, with a bekeshem, with a gartle, whatever the right levush is, but he would wear his shmoin of godim, and he would get his brachas. Kaput, wonderful. But Rifkin, and who would get the brachas? Yaakov would get the brachas. But which Yaakov? Yaakov was dressed like Yaakov. And Rifkin knew that Jewish history is going to produce a new type of Jew. It's going to produce a Jew who inside is Jewish, but externally may not feel Jewish, may not look Jewish, may not even live Jewishly. Internally he's Yaakov, but if you look at him from the outside, he looks like Esau. And Rivka asked the question, will this Jew be included in the covenant? Will Darwin's survival of the fittest theory apply to the Jewish people as well? Survival of the fittest and everyone else that's lost. Will that law of nature, supposed law of nature, apply to the Jewish people as well? This was the decision she had to make. And you know what her decision was. <coughs> who should get the blessings? Not only Yaakov, who looks like Yaakov. Yaakov, who looks like Esau. What was the blessing? The Gemara says, the Medrash says, V'yitam l'cha l'kim zu mishna. V'yitam l'cha l'kim v'tal ha-shamayim zu mikra. Mishmanayaret Zumishna, Roiv Dogon Zagamara, Sirosh Zebraisa. What Rivka accomplished that moment is that every single Jew, even the Jew externally looks like Esau, but internally is Yaakov, will be included in the covenant of Knesset Yisrael to receive the gift of Mikra, Mishnah, Gemara, Braise, Medrash, Halachas, and Goddess, as Chazal continued throughout the whole Pasuk of the Brachas. This is what Rivka did. So it comes the night of Pesach. 
and a person sees what Pesach is, but you're living in 2017, and you know who you are, and you know the reality of life. So you have two extremes. One extreme is people who lie to themselves and make believe they are what they're not. Okay, that's unfortunate. Another extreme, and this is much more popular today, is people who give up. They become disillusioned. They know how much corruption there is out there. They know how much lies there are out there, present company excluded. They know how much dishonesty there is in religion these days. They know how much toxicity there is. They say, I'm not part of this game. Maybe externally I'll be part of the game, but there's a disillusionment. Either I'm faking or I'm disillusioned. Because I'm not a Baal Madrega. Says Esther, on the night of Pesach, Uvechein Ovoyel HaMelech, the Ramos says in Mechir Yayin, Achashvedish is Acharis, Vereshis, Shaloi. The Gemara says in Megillah, with the Melech in Megillah is a remez for Hashem. I'm going to go into the king. Everybody is screaming, no, 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 you can't go in. Who are you? You stay outside. You will never be free. You will always remain disconnected. You will never die. You will never be really successful. You will never become that human being you're capable of becoming. You will never really be able to live a powerful, potent, infused, meaningful, wholesome, spiritual life of Torah. It's not for you. <coughs> I, the Afikoyman, doesn't belong to me. So that's on Pesach. The voices scream, it doesn't belong to you. You're a Ganev. Give it back. Parai says, come back. You don't belong there. You're an addict. You're a problem case. You belong in Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim says the Medrash is Milotion. Mate, sorry, Mugvulim. You believe, belong in confinement, in the zoo, in a cage. That's where you belong. Look at your moods. Look at your problems. Look at your challenges mentally, emotionally. You know where you belong. Don't make yourself something that you're not. You're a Ganeth. And we remain there, confined in solitary confinement, often for eternity. Ovechein ovayel amelech. Asher loy chados ba chicha b'mirma dafikayman is a mirma kivara chaam because I have to escape because if I don't escape I will stay in Mitzrayim because there's a voice that says you belong in Mitzrayim and I have to run I have to say that voice is not my ultimate self that voice exists in me but it can't define me exclusively that voice is part of me but that voice does not sum up. My entire experience. Of course the brachas happened on Pesach. Of course there's dafikaiman on Pesach. Of course the Jews borrowed from Pesach. Of course kibarachim happened on Pesach. Of course oviyala melech hashalecha does happen on Pesach. If you don't know how to do that, you could never be free. If you expect to wait for freedom till every voice is silenced and every voice in your system agrees and confirms your emancipation, you may wait forever. You have to have the confidence to be able to say, I know that there is a voice that will call me a Ganev. That's fine. I'm not stealing. I'm taking what is truly mine in my core. I'm going into my essence and I'm revealing what is my true essence. In my essence, I'm confident, I'm good. I'm wholesome. Your soul is a chilek eleka mimal. The divine is wholesome. Your soul is wholesome. I got issues. 
Yes, I got issues. Guy told me he went to the Bahamas on vacation. He's in therapy for 29 years. And he sends a postcard to his therapist. He says, I'm here in the Bahamas. I'm having a great time. I wish you were here to tell me why. <laughs> There's always that guy who goes around and says, yeah, you can't have a good time. You could have a good time. You can't. This Fine, shine. There's a monitor. There's a mashgiach who will constantly tell you, you're a ganav. Okay. That's fine. You have to know what that voice is. And what your atzmius is. What your core is. What your essence is. Ah, if that's the case, now come, you'll understand, you understand why the Gemara starts, now you'll understand, as Fasama says, you know why we put the candle in the fire? You know why we put the candle in the fire? I'll tell you why. I'm going to say it in Yiddish as he said it, and then I'll translate. Listen, this is a good vart in life. He says, what does this candle do? What have you used this candle for the last three, four hours? I don't know how long Bikr's Chomets takes you. How long does Bikr's Chomets take these days? In the hotel, nine seconds. And in the five towns, how long? Three seconds? Okay. <laughs> what did this candle do? It did one thing. It searched for Chomets. It searched, it searched, it searched. In the crevices, in the holes, in the openings, under the bed, in the closets, in the sink, in the cabinet, in the drawers. Arufa everywhere. As the Gemara says in Psach. So the Svasem is Eimetzer. Was ein ganze Tachlis is. Zu gefinnen Chomets. Ba'andere. Is eralein ashtikl Chomets. When you have somebody whose entire mission statement in life is. To find the Chomets everywhere. Just know that entity is the first piece of Chomets. Or as the Avodah Sisrael says, the Kajnitz of Magad says in Avodah Sisrael on the Mishnah, Mokim she'ein machnissim by chametz ein sarich b'dikah. You know what he says? A place you don't bring in chametz doesn't do b'dikah. He says, did I bring in chametz into your life? Did you bring in chametz to another Jew? No. He brought in chametz to his life. You brought in chametz to your life. Ein sarich b'dikah. No one asked you to be boidik another person. Mokim she'ein machnissim by chametz ein sarich b'dikah. You be baidik where you brought in chametz, not where your friend brought in chametz. Let him be baidik. But suddenly you have the self-appointed candles. You know them? Should we start being baidik for them? They have the self-appointed candles. Our job is to find, scrutinize, and discover the chametz everywhere. Says the Svasemes, you be weary of that candle. Because he's quite a piece of chametz. The Balatanya had a chassid, his name was Reb Shmuel Munkus. He was in a shtetl once, it was Shabbos before Slichus. And they used to have the old Magidim would come and frighten the living daylights out of Jews. They loved it. It was this notion of Magidim, the Baal would get very upset. So this guy comes, he's simple Jews, and he tells them about the Gehenim. You know, there's a lot of experts today on what Gehenim looks like. I guess they've been there. They tell you exactly what the fires look like. They know everything about purgatory. Mamish. I guess they live it, or they've been there, or they want to be there, whatever. But they can describe it in vivid detail. So this guy was telling these Jews what they're going to suffer if they don't do true. And they were weeping and weeping and weeping. And he felt good. The more they're crying, the more it's a success story for him. And they'll invite him back, and they'll pay him more. And there's going to be a serious true. Rabbi Shmuel Munkas was a big Jew. And he goes into this Yid Mitzray Shabbos. And he takes out a chalif. The Jew says, yeah, can I help you? He says, yeah. 
It's brought in Poiskin that Erev Rosh Hashanah, you should be like Meshtateach and Kivrei Tzadikim. In this city, it's all Rishayim, as you explained. We don't have one Tzadik buried in the Beisach Forest. So he says, okay, that's a serious thing. He says, I want, we should have one Tzadik buried in the Beisach Forest. So we could be like Meshtateach Erev Rosh Hashanah. He says, okay, he's the... He says, and where is there a tzaddik as great as you? <laughs> so I came here with a chalif, let's, let's get it over with, we'll bury you, we'll make a big lavanya, and we'll be able, with doyrit doyrus, we'll be the chmeshtateach yon kivri tzaddikim, will be a big schluss for us. I says, you're not? He says, no, no, it's very serious. And he comes close, and he starts with his l'shem yichud, and he's ready to make a bracha, to have a, a, a din of kivri tzaddikim, a chalois of kivri tzaddikim. And the man saw he's serious, he was frightened, he says, ich benesht tzaddik. I'm not such a tzaddik. He says, oh, you're humble too. Unbelievable. We have a tzaddik and a humble person. Here, let's go. He says, no, no, I'm serious. I'm not a tzaddik. He says, listen, relative to the sins that we have that you just described earlier, I can promise you you're a tzaddik. He says, no, no, I got some serious sins. <laughs> he says, dogma." He starts saying. He looks at him and he says, so how do you have the chutzpah to get up here and give? Such words of negative, spew such words of negativity against God's children. What gives you the chutzpah? When you see somebody's entire objective is a candle to find chametz everywhere, that's a piece of chametz. Comes the Shabinerov. Shabinerov says, you remember the question with Miketz and Vayetze? Somebody says, why did Chazal learn not because Chomets from Yosef and the Gaviyah? Go to Lavan, much better. It's earlier and better. Shabinirov says, because Chazal looked at the future. And they knew that there's a minig, it's already brought by the Shalom, and it's brought in Kisve Ariza, brought by the earlier Poiskim. Really, B'dikus Chomets, even if you don't find anything, it's fine. The mitzvah is to search, not to find. In life, the mitzvah is not always to find, the mitzvah is to search. But they were masakin, lahaniyach psisim, asorah psisim, to put ten pieces or some pieces of bread to find it. But here's a funny situation. You clean the house and then you put out ten pieces of bread. Who puts out the ten pieces of bread? Sometimes you yourself. And then you go search for them and you find them. That's called searching. It's a joke. Ah, so where did they bring a raya? From Parshas Miketz. Yosef told the guy to put the gavia where Bamtachas Binyamin. By Yechapes. He knew where it was. Of course he knew where it was. And yet the Torah calls it searching. By Yechapes, by It's called searching. You know why? Even if you know where something is. Even if you know where something is. And you know you're going to end up with it. The search is called a search. Bal Yidoch Mimenu Nidoch. Every person is one with Hashem. Yisrael v'kutshebrichu kulachat. We know where it's going to end up. But history is a search. You know you're going to find it. But it's still a struggle. It's the struggle of searching for that which you know is there. But you have to know that it's there. It's there. But I have to search. I have to excavate. I have to explore. I have to discover. So when the Gemara, the Mishnah wants to establish the Yisoyed of Pesach, it could say the night of our boss, but the Mishnah wants to say one more thing. When people discover their Chomets, they often get very, very depressed, if they're serious people. 
Rabbi Zul Kharif was the Rav of Slonim. His wife asked him one morning, Erev Pesach, she said, Aizul, you sold the chametz already? He said, I sold the chametz, but there's one piece of chametz in my house I already have for 41 years. I can't get rid of that chametz. She looks at him and she says, Aizul, you don't have to worry about that. That piece of chametz my father 40 years ago sold to a goy gomer. <laughs> he sold it to a complete gentile. You don't have to worry about that piece of chametz. When people discover that piece of chametz, they often become either dishonest with themselves because they have to repress their truth, or they become disillusioned with themselves because they don't want to repress the truth. So the Mishnah says, wait, which after all the explanations, the Meiri says, or means light, lichtekeit. How do you have to be by the chametz? Always mit lichtekeit, mit oir, with luminescence, with brightness. You don't go into your chametz with a, holding up a candle saying how bad I am, how bad my family is, how hopeless my children are, how hopeless my future is. No, that's not how you boy the chametz. That's how the Yitzhahara wants you to be by the chametz. Ayid is by the chametz with oil, with lichtigkeit, with warmth, with brightness, with luminescence. La'yudemoysa'ira, with light. What does it mean with light? With a sense of positive energy to know that I'm going to reveal who I really am. A soul is by definition happy and wholesome and confident. No! You're not destined to a miserable marriage. You're not destined to always fight with your family. You're not destined to always have Shalom Bayez problems. You're not destined to always be depressed and miserable. You're not destined to be unsuccessful. And you're not destined to remain uninspired forever. You may have chametz that you have to work through. We all have that. I have mine and you may have yours. I can't joke about yours. I have enough of mine. But it's always with oil our boss. Oil our boss. It's with the lichtekeit. It's with the oil. I want to tell you something, and I think it's time to conclude. Even though time is relative. I heard this from Nathan Sharansky. You know Nathan Sharansky, the refusenik. Fabulous. He was in the Soviet gulag, and they imprisoned him, and he had a, his wife, Avital, sent him a Hanukkah menorah. And he had his Hanukkah menorah, and the Soviets confiscated it. Kedarkom. And he went on a hunger strike. The Soviets hated when you went on hunger strikes. This was like a blow, a patch on their opponent. So after three days, the poor guy was not eating. The Nachalnik, Nachalnik is the, the warden who was in charge, where he was exiled, calls him in. And he says, Sharansky, what are you being so stubborn? He says, give me back my menorah. What? I want to light the Hanukkah menorah. It's very important for me. He says, we don't have it anymore. He says, oh, come on. You got everything. Give me my menorah. He says, what do you need a hunger strike for? He says, you confiscated it. It was illegal. I'm allowed to have it. He says, stop it. We can't give you this menorah to stop your hunger strike. Sharansky says, not Chalnik, have an idea. Lock the door and I'll light it right here in the room. And nobody will know. And this Nachalnik, whose name was Osin, a big, heavy Russian communist, locks the door, opens up the third drawer, and sure enough, 
there is this beautiful menorah that the communists did not know about. Takes out the menorah, he says, what do you need? He says, I need a match. Gives him a match. The doors are locked. Venetian blinds are down. Light your stupid menorah and leave me alone. And Sharansky makes the blessings and he lights the menorah. And he, Sharansky, those days especially, was, you know, no Jewish education whatsoever. So he makes up his own Moyes Tzuryu Shawasi, he makes up his own Aneris Alolo. In Russian. And he speaks to Hashem and he says, God, in Russian, you saved us from the Syrian Greeks. The Hashmanoyim rescued us. They tried to oppress us, destroy us, kill us, decimate us. But we're here today. The light of freedom, the light of Yiddishkeit has won. And I want to pray to you. We're dealing today, we have the communist Rishoyim. Evil, wicked oppressors of the Jewish people and all freedom. We've been suffering for decades under Stalin, Lenin, Trotsky, Khrushchev, Brezhnev. Now Brezhnev was then, I believe. God, please save us from the communists. Give us freedom. And Sharansky suddenly hears, Amen. <laughs> and he turns around and he sees General Austin, the Nachalnik, said, Amen. And he said, what a moment it was. A Jew dressed up in layers and layers and layers of deception, lies, communist propaganda that destroyed a nation for 70 years. And he was praying for the obliteration of the communist regime. And this Jew trapped behind his uniform. All he could say is, Amen. His secret Jew also yearned. Also yearned and craved to come out. The Baba Virov, Rabbi Shleima Halberstam, the Colonel of Rav, who passed away, Rishchidish of Tovshin Samach, 2000, came here, a survivor, his father and family were decimated, the Kedushat Sion in Baba in Galicia. And he came here, and he lived in Manhattan in the beginning, then he moved to Crown Heights, then he moved to Borough Park, and he barely had a minion. Remember, this is the 40s. So Friday night, he asked his son, Reb Naftolsha, who succeeded him after he passed away, to go find somebody, a minion. So he goes out in the street, this is in the west side of Manhattan, in the 1940s, and he sees a Yiddish upon him, he says, could you come in to be Mashlam a minion for my father? Okay, he comes in. The guy comes in, and he says, by the way, ich bin euch I, I could have fine, go to the Amit. He goes to the Amit and he likes it. You know, some people like to hear their voice. And I guess I shouldn't make fun of that. And, uh, <laughs> and he davened, and he davened very nicely, he had a sweet voice. So the Baba Veruv says, maybe you can come back tomorrow. We have a, a, a first of all, a center with a thousand. You know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> you kill two birds with one stone. He comes back, he comes back the next Shabbos, the next Shabbos. Turns out he was a Holocaust survivor. He wasn't a religious Jew, but he liked it, and they liked him, and it worked out. After a few months, the minions started to build, more people started to come. And one Shabbos morning, he's not there. So the Baba Berov comes into Davening, and he asks, where is this Yid? He didn't come, so he tells him, Naftosh, go walk around. Walk around a few streets here. There's a park here, there's some blocks here, maybe he's around, invite him. So he's fine, he takes somebody, and they walk, they go through the park. And he sees him, and he comes back, and he tells his father, uh, I saw him, he says, no, you invited him? He says, I couldn't invite him. He says, why? He's sitting on Shabbos on a bench with a newspaper, and he's smoking a cigar. He's smoking a cigar on Shabbos. I can't invite him. It's a chilo Shabbos in the park, in the open. 
So the Baba Virav says, invite him, invite him. He says, I can't invite him. He was smoking on Shabbos. He says, no, 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 he wasn't smoking. He says, Father, you're a nice man. You're a very nice man. I wouldn't make this up about a person. I'm telling you the truth. He was sitting in the open and smoking on Shabbos. I know what a cigar looks like. I know what smoke looks like. I know what fire looks like. He says, no, no, at Nishgerechet, at Nishgerechet. He says, here, there's a second man. Why would we make up such a story about a Jew? We like the guy. At Nishgerechet. He says, what's mainstream? What do you mean? So he says, the Nazi had Gerechet. The Nazi was smoking. He wasn't smoking. The Nazi was smoking on Shabbos. The Nazi, the Nazi. Go, go invite him. I'm telling you, go invite him. So he goes back and he says, my father asked if you can come to Shul. If you can come to Shul. He says, really? He wants me in Shul? Yeah, he wants you in Shul. And he came. Sometimes he came, sometimes he didn't come, but he always had this open invitation. Reb Naftosha told the story. He said around 35 years later, his father tells him he wants to go for a Sheva Brachas. He wants to go for a Sheva Brachas. He says, what, you don't go for Sheva Brachas usually? He has a special Sheva Brachas to go. They go to a Sheva Brachas. It's a wonderful Jewish family. Not a Hasidic family, but a wonderful, religious, observant Jewish family. And uh, the Baba Virav is sitting at the head table, and he wishes Mazel Tov to the Mechutin and to the Zayda. And he calls over Reb Naftosha. And he says, you see this man? That's the person who was Arbal Tefillah in the 1940s. Look at the family that he established. Children, grandchildren, Bnei Torah, Er and he tells Reb Naftosha, he says, Zesta sich bin gewen gerecht, as erat nisch gerecht, and Nazi hat gerecht. You see, I was right. He wasn't smoking. The Nazi was smoking. You see, I was right. Now, this is, uh, seems like a, a strange observation, but I think a very subtle one and a very important one. Sometimes I could see somebody doing something. It's very easy to point a finger and say, <coughs> Look at this despicable person doing despicable behavior. Sometimes you have to understand this person has trauma inside of them. Or deep pain inside of them. Deep anxiety. And even though it doesn't justify or rationalize. But I have to be able to distinguish and know. Who is this voice in the person? This Holocaust survivor went through so much infinite pain that we can't imagine that his way of dealing with it was he felt he has to hate Judaism because of what Judaism did for him as a Jew, how much he suffered. It was he. It was he. It was the horrible, horrible pain that was living in him. I met a teenager. He became a declared atheist from a very Hasidic community in Muncie. Declared atheists. Hell broke loose. You'll forgive me, it's a word in the dictionary. Oh, how can he do this? I, okay, I, some, I some, some, meet a lot of these chevra. So I say, what happened suddenly? You lost faith in God, you don't believe, you used to, yeah, not, what happened? I just want to understand. He says, we was God for three years. I thought he's gonna. He meant the five years of the Holocaust. I said, which three years? The three years. Where was God for three years? I said, which three years? What do you mean? He tells me these words. I kid you not. He says, I was seven years old. My parents would go away often. They had. We had a babysitter. 
Sometimes night after night after night. And I was molested for three years. And I used to daven every night to Hashem, to the Rebbeinu. I used to ask one thing. Let the babysitter move to another city so that I don't get abused. He said, Hashem never answered me. Three years. Three years. Till the boy went, left somewhere. Got married, whatever happened. And then he said these words. Very hard to hear. He said, I had to make a choice between two perspectives. Perspective number one, God exists and he is sadistic. And it was hard for me to say that about Hashem. So I was forced to reach a second conclusion, that he doesn't exist. I gave him a hug and a kiss. And I thought to myself, Eichmir an atheist. Eichmir an atheist! He's forced to say God doesn't exist. Khalila, why? Because he can't say that Hashem was sadistic, was cruel, was not responsive to his prayer. I look at that atheism and I say, Ereichet of Shabbos. The molester Ereichet of Shabbos. He's not smoking on Shabbos, this kid. His molester is smoking on Shabbos. And you see this in the Haggadah. And you'll forgive me. Everybody misreads that piece of the Haggadah. You have young people, they say, Because this is first to relax. At some point, he felt that he doesn't belong in Klaustrom. Nobody made him feel at home in Klaustrom. Everybody told him, you're a ganiv. You're a shakrin. You don't have a relationship to Torah. You don't have a relationship to Hashem. You're a bum. You're never going to make it. You're not la creme de la creme. We know who you are. You were diagnosed with ADD, PDD, ADHD, all the good stuff. You don't have no future here. He was made to feel like a loser. He took himself out of the Kalal. He doesn't have a place in the Kalal. Often that's the reason Kafa Baker. Nothing to do with Kfira. Nothing to do with Kafa Baker. He has no home. He has no story of success. No one knew how to give him a hug or to give her a hug. It's a whole different experience. What does the Vilna Gaon say? It's going to sound like a Chsidr Shavard, but it comes from the Gaon of Vilna. So you can't suspect me here. That's a very interesting instruction. You ever do that to your son? <laughs> Father, ma Why sushi mitzvah? Trach, boom, boom. Call him the misaskim. Whoever made up such a new says in Chumash So you know what the Vilna Gaon says, yeah? He says hakayashinov. Deduct the numerical value of shin nun yudva from Russia. And you'll end up with the word tzaddik. Take away the bite. The bark is bigger than the bite. Hakeyashin of blunted teeth. Don't look at the teeth. Go a little deeper. People with their teeth, they often bite. They're resentful. They're frustrated. They're angry. Hakeyashin of look beyond the teeth. Look beyond the bite. Go deeper. Take away shinov from Russia. You know what you're going to have? You're going to have a tzaddik. 
But for this, you can't be moitzi people minaklal. You can't be moitzi yidin minaklal. They can't feel like thieves for taking the afikaimon. I was at a wedding a little while ago, and I met the Reb Shloyme Kanevsky, the son of Reb Chaim Kanevsky, who runs a yeshiva called Tiferet Siyan in Bnei Brak. And he told me the following story, and with this I'm going to conclude Blina there, and that is... In the 1930s, there was the Yeshiva Teferis Sion founded by the Chazoynish. A boy was caught there smoking on Shabbos. The Rosh Yeshiva called him in on Sunday and threw him out of the Yeshiva. This is what I heard from Rabbi Kanevsky. The Chazoynish called him the Rosh Yeshiva and he said, I heard you threw out this boy from Yeshiva. He said, yes. You know what he did? And he told him what he did. He says, wow, it's horrible. I just have a question. The Mishnah says in Sanhedrin, Dine nefashas be'esem mishloish. Capital punishment. You need a court of twenty-three. Did you convene a court of twenty-three Jewish judges to expel this boy? Because if this is true about capital punishment physically, certainly true about capital punishment spiritually. Because he's not going from this yeshiva to Kol Chazonish across the street. He's probably going to Dizengoff, and that's Dizengoff from 1934, 1935. So uh, the Rosh Hashiva says. Oh, at the court of 23. I'm the Rosh Hashiva. I made a decision. I have to expel him. He says, listen, you're a good man. But 23, you need 23. Get the 23 together. If they pass him, he's out. He's out. He says, I can't run a yeshiva like this. We're going to make a meeting of 23 Dayanim. He says, it's not because you're not great. You need 23 Dayanim. He says, I can't do this. If you make, so he says, so bring him back. He says, if you bring him back, I quit. So the Chazaynish says, the same Mishnah says, Dine Mominus is Beshloisha and Yachid Momcha. To send out the boy is Dine Nefashas. You quitting is Dine Mominus. Ich bin a Yachid Momcha. I'm a Yachid Momcha. You want to leave? Leave. I don't want you to leave. You want to leave? And the man quit. The man resigned. And the boy came back. And he knew why he came back. And he knew that somebody's position was vacant because he came back. And Rabbi Shleim Kanevsky told me the Chazaynish had to give a shear himself. <laughs> the boys needed a maggot shear. They had to get it. He had to give a shear. Three weeks later, the Rosh Hashiva came back. He didn't, I guess, want to say a name, but he says, but in the Litvisha world, you would be shocked to hear who this boy is. Because the Chazaynish understood that you're dealing with Dine Nefoshes. You're not dealing with Dine Mominus. So yes, do you remember my opening joke? There will always be a guy who will tell you this is a new country. If you can be a Rav, I can be a Koyin. Let's face it, we're just fakers. We're fakers. It's a new country. But Pesach has a different message. We all have a child in us. The child is very innocent, but the child falls asleep. And sometimes the child never wakes up. Reb Chatzka Levenstein would get up and he would say in Ponovich Amusa, and he would say, you guys go to stay up the night of Shavuos, you daven v'sikin, the nachgeter shlofen biz elo. And then you go to sleep till elo. But the Hasidim is still some Chastair. 
I spent Shabbos with the Mir of Shashivir of Finkel. So he gave this whole speech about Elul, 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 and he said that the Litvak stole it from the Hasidim. I said, I'm not sure, not Lavdafke, whatever, but anyway, we had a little debate there. Then I told him that somebody told me that there was somebody driving a Meir Shorim on Shabbos. So they were screaming at the guy. They were screaming. So, so the Hasidim was screaming. It was before Rosh Hashanah. The Hasidim was screaming, Shabbos! The Litvaks were screaming, Elul! Okay. Reb Meir Shapiro once said, Reb Meir Shapiro once said that there's a difference. Ashkenaz and Svarad, yeah, you start Hoidu, you start Baruch Shomar. He says, that's fine. The main thing is that when it comes to Yehichvoid Hashem La'olam, everybody's on the same page. If by Yehichvoid Hashem La'olam, people are not on the same page, Yamadi says, then there's something problematic with this davening. So there's somebody who screams at us. You're not this, you're not this. And the Tinnak falls asleep. On Pesach you can grab, even though they're saying stop grabbing. And the reason is because I'm one with the king and the king is one with me. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.